Today we get to turn to John's Gospel to see Jesus' first act of ministry. And unlike Mark and Matthew and Luke, John doesn't begin Jesus' ministry with him casting out a demon or calling for repentance, but rather Jesus' ministry in John begins with a miracle, or John prefers to use the word sign, a sign that brings unexpected joy to people gathered for a wedding in a town called Cana. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the second chapter of John, beginning with the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted that the water had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, as a pastor, I have the unique ability of getting to be alongside people as they prepare and plan for their wedding. Now, if you haven't been down this road in, in life's journey, there are a lot of details that go into even the simplest of weddings. The location, the reception, the food, the guest list, the flowers, the seating charts, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of things. But to sum it up, there are a lot of details. Of course, the bride and groom want the occasion of sharing vows to be special for themselves. But usually they're just as or even more worried about their guests having a good time. This builds on the stress that already qualifies as a skyscraper by architectural standards. Now, once the ceremony's over and the reception begins, the stress ceases. The joy is full, and most of the time, the wedding party doesn't want the celebration to end. Today, in our, our second reading, we get to hear a story about a wedding. And every time I hear this story, I can't help but think of my own wedding for a few reasons. One, this is the text that Marie and I chose to be read at our wedding. Second was that our reception was held at a vineyard, a Cross Keys vineyard over, over the mountain in Harrisonburg. The third was that at the very end of our reception, the wine had run out, <laughs> just like in our reading today. If you look closely in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't say a whole lot about marriage compared to a lot of things. But here in his first act of ministry in John's gospel, Jesus keeps the celebration of a wedding going once the wine had gone out. 
Now, to understand the story a little better, we need to learn a little bit about wine in the biblical world. Today, we are rightly concerned with both the health and addictive dangers of alcohol consumption. Many of us know friends or family who have struggled with this disease. Some of us may be participating in dry January, to which I, I commend you. But the fact still remains that wine production and consumption was a very big part of the social and dietary world of the Bible. In an arid climate where water was scarce, produce was limited, and there wasn't a great grocery store to go to just a mile down the road, wine was a staple of Palestinian meals along with bread and oil. You see, wine provided necessary nutritional qualities to the diet of the biblical world, particularly with um, the addition of calories that wine could give. So wine as a staple and means for making a living was so prevalent in the biblical world that it's not surprising that the Bible frequently uses images of wine and wine production as symbols of God's very love. The kingdom of God is compared to a vineyard at one point. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The vineyard even becomes a symbol of God's providential care and love. And we cannot forget, of course, the image of wine as the cup of the new covenant, sealed in the blood of our Lord that we acknowledge and celebrate and share at communion. Wine was not only a dietary staple, but like today, it also carried with it a celebrative purpose. It was the social lubricant of choice for parties, festivals, and whatnot. But wine took many forms, not all of which were equal. And I'm not talking about being a wine snob or anything like that. There were clear delineations. At a festival or party or wedding like this one in Cana, wine was distributed based on social standing. Important folks, rich folks, folks of high status would receive the best and first, while the poorest and the least important folks, like the servants, would likely receive a blend of wine, vinegar, and water. Much like the substance that's offered to Jesus on a sponge in his crucifixion later in John. So to return to the wedding in our lesson, a predictable crisis occurs. They run out of wine. Jesus' mother comes to him with the problem and instructs the servants to do exactly as he says. And I love how this exchange between Jesus and his mother plays out. Because his mother really steps in here. She says, uh, she tells Jesus about the problem, assuming he's able to do something about it. But he says, Mom, it's not my time yet. And she responds, not to Jesus, but to um, the servants, telling them to do whatever Jesus tells them. Jesus says, it's not my time yet, but his mother says, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> you gotta love that. Jesus goes on to instruct the servants to fill those big jars, uh, those stone jars, uh, with water. Altogether, doing a little rough math, being about 120 to 130 gallons of water. Then he instructs the servants to take the jars to the chief steward, who realizes that the water had now become wine. And not just any wine, good wine, in fact, according to the groom. 
Jesus does this first act of ministry, the sign, this miracle, without really breaking a sweat. Really without a whole lot of pomp and circumstance, if you think about it. He doesn't even take credit for it publicly, but kind of slips back behind the scenes once the steward receives the stone jars. Only the, the servants uh, at the wedding knew the truth. He continues the celebration of a young couple dedicating their lives to God and one another. Now, we frequently talk about how God is with us in the worst of times, but this passage reminds us that Christ's presence is with us when we celebrate as well. If we look closer, though, I think we see that this miracle story of Jesus has more, has to do with more than just prolonging a celebration, a party. A feast, a joyous celebration that's equally shared by all here. The wealthy, the poor, the pious, the sinners, the public figures, and the outcasts, the whole town is there. This grace, this joy that Christ offers is for everyone. And there's more than enough to go around. The wine then becomes symbolic of what God's grace looks like in Christ. And it reveals three different aspects of this grace I want us to think about together. First, we see that this grace is unexpected. At the wedding, the wine ran out. People were saying their goodbyes and heading for the door, and then Jesus steps in. What does God's grace look like? When you least expect it, when you feel most undeserving, you receive an abundance of the very best. Isn't that how God's grace is to be experienced? It comes unexpected. We feel undeserving, yet the God we know in Christ shows up and offers grace and mercy when we least expect it. How can we accept this grace and in turn offer it to others in our midst? The second aspect of this grace is that it's unmatched. The truth about Jesus' wine is only revealed to the servants, as I said. The ones who likely would have received the worst quality of wine, if any at all. But now, because of Jesus, the good wine is for everyone. The wine becomes a symbol uh, for what God's kingdom will look like. The very kingdom Jesus has come to inaugurate, to give birth to. A kingdom where barriers between people, whether they're ideological, social, economic, racial, cultural, you name it, all these barriers are dissolved as the good wine of God's grace is passed out in abundance to all. Tomorrow, of course, our nation will celebrate the life, ministry, and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King understood that the good wine of God's kingdom is freely given to all regardless of status, race, gender, or ideology. Dr. King's legacy is the defense of the equality of all in Christ, the very grace of God. Fifty-plus years following his death, the need for his message carries on, and we can be reminded of his poignant statement that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The unmatched wine of God's grace is open to all. The new covenant is given to all. The unmatched beauty of God's grace calls for us to do likewise, welcoming all and continuing Dr. King's legacy in the battle against injustice as we show and as we embody God's very love to each other. 
The final aspect of this grace we see in the miracle is that it is unending. Now, the story begins with a crisis of scarcity. We talked about the last couple weeks with communion and baptism, if you remember. The wine at the wedding is about to run out. The party will then end, of course. And Jesus responds with an act of abundance, turning almost 130 gallons of water into 130 gallons of wine. There's more than enough for everyone. There's now such an abundance of wine that the party might just go on forever. This is what God's grace looks like, unending joy. John uses this absurdly large amount of wine to show the abundance of God's grace. Because in Christ we know and we have seen God's very mercy. We're called to show this abundant, unending mercy and love to others. Calling us to live lives of generosity and service and compassion that all might know this grace of God. Friends, Jesus turns water into wine, prolonging a wedding party, but also giving us a glimpse of God's grace and the life in the very kingdom Jesus himself has come to inaugurate. The good wine, the new covenant, is here, and its grace is abundantly available for all. The boundaries humans have created to divide and stratify ourselves have been dissolved. Now all are welcome to the same party in the kingdom of God. Friends, may we boldly proclaim the unexpected, unmatched, unending grace of God to a world who so desperately needs it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.